Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. So today, this is going to be an amazing episode. We are with the VBAC link, Julie and Megan, who have seven kids between them. They are VBAC moms, birth doulas, and educators whose mission is to make birth after cesarean better. They provide evidence-based education support, and they have a community of like-minded people to help you on your journey. They're pretty much the bona fide VBAC experts. And today, Lexi and I want to talk to them about just basically dismantling a lot of beliefs, kind of busting some myths, and making sure that all of our information on this hot topic is credible, up-to-date, and evidence-based. So thank you both so much for being here and your very busy mama and business lady lives. Hey, thanks for having us. You're welcome. We're excited to be here. We're just going through the ages of your kids. So you need to share because um, it's impressive, like you doing all that you're doing, being here as well today and all the, the kids that you have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They definitely <laughs> keep us busy. Yeah. They definitely keep us busy. And that's one of the reasons why we took a break off of our podcasts because they're just so busy. I feel like the older they get, the busier they get. Um, my kiddos, I have three and I have my oldest Lainey and she is 10. And then I have a seven-year-old who's almost eight and then a five-year-old. And so, and they're all in uh, very heavy into like sports. So we're every Saturday we're activities. consumed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then Monday through Friday, we're consumed with practice. So it's, it's busy, but um, obviously still drives me to be here for my, you know, after my passion of VBAC. Amazing. <laughs> and let's see if I can get mine. Right. This time we have, I was just telling them, we have, uh, like I call it the season of birthdays. So five of our six family members, our birthdays are packed in a nine week window. And so we're right in the middle of changing ages. So I forget how old everybody is sometimes. Um, so let's see, my oldest is eight and then I have six year old and five and then four. So they're all um, four kids in just less than five years. Number three was a surprise. We didn't mean to have them so close together, but then by the time we had three, we knew we wanted four kids and we we're just like, oh, we might as well just knock them out and get, in, <laughs> get them out of the nest sooner. So oh my uh, here we are. So it was a little crazy when they were all younger, but now it's, now I kind of like having them close together. I mean, like, okay, I, I liked having them close together, but now I can actually sleep in, you know, most nights and it <laughs> feels a lot, a little bit more manageable. <laughs> so you're both VBAC moms yourselves. So tell us a little bit more. So were your eldest children cesarean births? When did you yeah. have your first cesarean? Yeah. yeah. So my oldest and my second were both cesareans. Okay. So yeah, just kind of, you know, I was younger too. Like I just was like, Oh, I'm going to have a baby and walked in and had a baby, but not necessarily the way I desired. Um, completely unexpected. Um, and then I wanted to be back. And unfortunately I had an unsupportive provider and there were signs of that, but, um, I let my heart 
get to me a little bit. Um, instead of following my heart, I caved and was like, no, I've already been with him. So I should probably stay and felt bad. And, um, he said he was supportive for VBAC, but then when the time came, you know, he definitely was not. And so although that cesarean was healing, it still wasn't what I desired. And I knew I wanted a vaginal birth. So when I got pregnant for the third time and, um, my husband was like, this is the last time <laughs> we're done. <laughs> and, um, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go for a VBAC again. And, and that's what I did. So I had to be back after two cesareans. Wow. We need to talk about like, what does it look like in terms of finding, like, what is a supportive care provider? What are the key questions to ask? But before we dive into that, Julie, mm-hmm. can you share your background with cesarean birth? Yeah. My oldest was a cesarean and then my, the rest, the, my first was a cesarean and then my other three were home births uh, okay. after cesarean, which was a great experience. I, had switched providers a couple of times looking for my second birth. And it was just a really cool experience. I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really complicated yeah. <laughs> transitions in there. And during that second birth, I'm trying not to tell my whole birth story because it would take up the, the whole, whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> I'm to like short version it. So I'm just like, yeah, first cesarean three VBACs at home. Yes. It was okay. a, a long journey and it kind of all led us here today. And we're, we're at the point where we're, grateful for those cesarean births where not necessarily ideal, it kind of led us to where we are now and we're educating and supporting parents uh, on their options and what really is available to them after those cesareans. And so they can make the right choices for them for their subsequent deliveries, no matter what that looks like. And it's a really cool experience. We're going to meet a lot of people all over the world and it's just really been really awesome. Really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest or what are some of the biggest myths around vaginal births after cesarean that you wish women knew weren't actually true? They wish that they they were actually just no. knew that they were myths. Yeah. Once a cesarean, always a cesarean is probably the most common, right? Um, small pelvis. A lot of yeah. women are um, believed, told and they believe that their pelvis truly is too small to birth a baby vaginally, um, or that babies are too big. That's another one. Um, I was told personally that my body would never dilate, that there was no way I would ever do it because my body didn't know how he actually used those words. Your body just doesn't know how, and which was interesting. (laughs) So that's a myth. Sometimes, um, people go in and they, you know, only dilate to four centimeters or they were induced and only got to four centimeters. Despite all the efforts of um, interventions, they still stuck at four centimeters. And so it's easy to believe that you can't. But those are some of the most common myths to me. Julie, do you have any? You know, Megan, I think you're spot on with that. That the biggest myth, I think, is that you're probably a really good candidate to attempt a VBAC. I mean, the American Pregnancy Association says that 90% of parents are good candidates to try, but only 10% of those that are good candidates will be given the chance or told or allowed to try by by their providers. And and 60 to 80% of those that attempt a VBAC will be successful. And I hate to use the word successful because it's all... um, because there's no failure in childbirth. Right. And we're going to, I think, talk about that a little bit later, but, but yes, you are really likely to be a good candidate to attempt a VBAC. Mm-hmm. And there's just a, a, unfortunately 
a lot of politics and a lot of navigating that you can do. And if you just make a few little tweaks and adjustments and maybe um, finding a little bit more support, you have a really good chance of achieving that vaginal birth. And that's probably the biggest myth out there. And unfortunately, there's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. That's a wild stat. I know Nikki loves stats, so she's <laughs> <laughs> me too. Writing mm-hmm. that one down. I, I do, I do. So you're saying, wait, it was like only 10% of women attempt to VBAC? Well, and 90% given the option. Yeah. Oh, given the option. Okay. So they're basically told, I mean, should I is it accurate or even like am I overstepping to say the word coerced? Like they're saying like you need to, and you're all shaking your heads. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of the time it is right. Like, well, their, their provider will come in there after the operating, like on the operating room table and say, you know, while I was in there, I mean, we hear this all the time and we hear this all the time uh, on our podcast, uh, in our, in our Facebook group and stories and direct messages, talking to local parents in our community, their provider will say, you know, oh, I was in there doing the C-section. I, I looked around or I felt around or, you know, uh, it looks like your pelvis is probably too small. I would definitely recommend that the rest of your deliveries be cesarean births. I don't think that you would be a good candidate for a VBAC or, or things like that. And unfortunately, in the United States and all over the world, but especially in the United States, we are brought up in our culture to trust our medical providers. And, and we should be able to do that, but we trust them so much that we don't learn to trust ourselves too and, and question that and learn to follow our intuition or or like listen to that internal system of ours that says something might not be right here, or I want to know what else might be available to me and look outside of what a provider might say to either confirm what they're saying or find what other things might be available to us. And so we just believe what our doctor says. We go on, we have three, four, five or more cesareans and um, go on with our life. And nothing's necessarily inherently wrong with that, but there's other safer alternative options out there. And we have a crisis in our country right now where, where people are having really significant complications after their cesarean deliveries, because repeat cesareans expect after two cesareans, the risks aren't necessarily that much more, more um, complicated or bigger after two cesareans than after, you know, one feedback. But when you get into three and four cesareans, your risks of having severe complications are significantly higher than after a vaginal delivery. And when our providers are not going over those risks with these parents, then that's where we're getting a lot of problems. And that's where we're having a maternal health crisis in the delivery room. And I don't know, we can go on. I could get on this big tangent right now, but I'm going to kind of stop myself because we know we have a lot to cover. But because we are so inherently trusting of our providers and our medical system, um, we want we want to be able to trust them. We kind of need to trust them because we have such an intimate connection with them during these life changing experiences. We um, we feel like we can't challenge that or question that, and don't look outside for other information besides what they tell us. And so, I don't think our providers want to intentionally hurt us. I just think that they got trained and taught in a system that doesn't necessarily 
always have the best interest for women's and parents' health care at heart all the time, or they grew up at a time where, you know, 20, 30 years ago when they went to medical school, wasn't all the way necessarily up to date with the most evidence base that we have now. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a really a good system in place to keep them up to date oh, with yeah. that. I see this all the time. It takes a long time for evidence to trickle down into practice. A long, exactly. long 10 time. 10 to 15 like, years. Why are women still lying on their back with their legs and stirrups to push? Why yeah, are they being coached? Like why? You why know, are they denying food in labor? You know, exactly. why are they? Yeah, so many things. <laughs> I'm like, we're all getting really fired up here. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, ah. <laughs> I know, all the time. You see all the but time. It's true. I mean, it, it is also a litigious culture, right? Like we, you know, in a way, a well, they need to protect is, themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that also is worth potentially mentioning, um, you know, and, and there's also the conversation of the dead baby card that's thrown mm-hmm. down, like, unfortunately, frequently. And I know you're shaking your heads. Yes. Right. Like yeah. it's irresponsible of you to, you know, put your baby's life in danger. And, and it's a mm-hmm. personal choice. I have many friends who had one cesarean and they had no interest in a back for yeah. a variety of reasons. And mm-hmm. I just think we need to say that's totally that's, okay. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What that we is think okay. is, oh yes, go ahead. I was just like, that is okay. And you know, that's one of the things that Julie and I love um, about what we do is we get to educate. And a lot of people think like we only educate on VBAC, but we actually educate on both sides, repeat cesarean, multiple cesareans, multiple VBACs, all those things. Because all, at the end, we ultimately want these parents to decide what's best for them and know yeah. the risks and benefits of both. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I've heard all of the, like the myths that you mentioned, like I've heard every single one of those, um, just like from like people in my community, like friends. And so Mm -hmm. what in, okay. So what if 90% say of, um, cesarean candidates could be potentially VBAC candidates, right? Is that, is that what you said the stat was? 90%. Yeah. 90%. Yeah. Parents that have had a cesarean are good candidates for VBAC. So then yeah. what makes, like, if someone right now had had a C-section, they're thinking about their next baby, what makes for a good a good VBAC candidate? It's a good question. Um, I mean, and everyone is different and depends on their, you know, uh, history. But typically, especially if someone has reached 10 centimeters, like it wasn't failure to, you know, if they reached 10 centimeters and something happened and maybe the baby's heart rate or something, you know, that's a really good candidate. Um, a baby, you know, a baby that was really low providers will consider them as a good candidate. Um, low transverse, um, incision, good candidates. Um, you know, providers, lots of different providers look at a whole bunch of different things. Um, and I'm sure you've heard about the feedback calculator. A lot of these things like come into play, like the the BMI and all these things. And, um, those all things are, they're viewed, but it doesn't mean that they're not a good candidate. Like for me, like I was told that my body could never dilate and my pelvis was too small. And I had providers tell me that I wasn't a good candidate, but I, I truly felt that I was right. So you have to kind of go with your own personal situation, but, um, just you know, providers will look at the history and say, oh, well, you actually made it to 10 centimeters. So, yeah, let's give it a go. Or your baby was really low and it was a failed forcep, you know, or whatever. Let's give it a go again. Or, yeah, your incision looks good. Let's let's do it. So um, it just really it depends. But typically those those things like you've never maybe your baby was breech and you mm-hmm. never even went in the labor. You're a good candidate for a VBAC. You know, okay. you they have no idea. 
So yeah, Julie, do you, are there any things? Yeah. Like, um, just pretty straightforward answer is like, you have a, uh, low risk pregnancy. You have low nothing risk. that would prevent like a vaginal delivery generally, like not placenta previa, placenta accreta, um, uh-huh. things like that. Um, more people will go on to say like, if you have like one baby, although twin feedback is possible. Um, mm-hmm. if you have a low transverse incision, like just a, uh, like a bikini cut incision, although VBAC with special scars is possible. Um, and if you like, again, like just general low risk, healthy pregnancy, um, healthy. Yeah. You know, complications that would prevent just a regular vaginal delivery, just in general, yeah. in general. Yeah. And that's why that's the hard thing is that is why most people are candidates mm-hmm. because yeah. most people fit into that range. You know, yeah. we, there are people that are like, Oh, I have diabetes. So um, my doctor's telling me I'm not a good candidate. That's yeah. not necessarily, that's the, not an exclusion. That's not, yeah. It's not criteria. necessarily the fact either. <laughs> so, I mean, um, yeah, most people are candidates and like Julie said, you know, there's placenta previa or creta, or maybe, um, mom has had some serious thing in the history, you know, her history, surgical history or something where it, she's not going to be a good candidate for a vaginal birth anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most people are. So the VBAC calculator is a bit bogus. We actually talked to somebody oh, yes. else and they were like yeah. kind of crapping on it. So you would be uh, agree. Ooh, ooh, I have a story. <laughs> please, please yes, do tell. My very first delivery birth ever as a doula was with a client who had a 4% chance, like a four, like one, two, three, four. <laughs> the VBAC calculator gave her 4% chance. Um, she was an Islander. So she had a drop in rate about drop because of race. So the VBAC calculator now doesn't use race anymore as an, uh, to drop you. Although historically it has big time. Um, if you were anything but white, it would drop you, uh, which is really sad. But, uh, if, uh, if she was a little bit overweight, which is an automatic drop still is, uh, and she had, a their previous cesarean was because of address of descent, which is another drop. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things working against her, but this lady pushed her baby out in 20 minutes. And I was just like, <laughs> suck it VBAC calculator. It was like <laughs> the first, I mean, like, I just so dang proud of this mom who worked so hard. And like, the cool thing is, is just, she had a provider who was straight up with her and she's like, you know what? Like, this is what the VBAC calculator says, but I don't care because 4% chance is better than no percent chance. And we never know until we're, until we try. And her writer was really incredible. Um, and that's just the thing. Like you never know until you try. And I just love, what is it like Bill and Ted where, or I don't even know. I don't want, I don't really excited. The excellent adventure. Like, so you, yeah, I don't know. Like where you're, you're so you're seeing there's a chance. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, is that from that movie? I don't even know. So you're seeing um, there's a chance. You're quoting like, stoner movies right now. And I love you. I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> but so with providers, so yeah. Like talking about providers and you both spoke about your experience with the a provider that wasn't supportive of you mm-hmm. trying with a VBAC. So through your experience and then all of your experience of the stories you've now heard, like what with someone who's looking to, to have a VBAC with their, you know, second child and first was cesarean or the third or whatever it is, what is your recommendation for being able to find that provider that's really going to support what their wishes are in, in their delivery? I think the first thing and Megan can expand on this more, but I think like one of the most important things is getting someone that will look at you uniquely as an individual and not as a statistic, like with the VBAC 
calculator. Like I could talk about that for a whole episode in of itself. It's, it's garbage. It's not evidence-based like period end of story. Like we have a whole blog about it actually, but um, you're looking at you as an individual that's going to give you a solid fighting chance. That's not going to put you in as a statistic. That's not going to um, lump you into any of that, but someone that's going to treat you as a unique person, as a unique story, yeah. as a unique delivery that is probably one of the most important things. Megan, go on. What yeah. else would you say? Well, you know, when I, so I really had quite the experience of interviewing providers and searching because I had had two previous cesareans and it, it, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to find that provider to really support you. And so um, f- for me, I was wanting to look for someone who um, looked at me as just like she said, an individual and just someone wanting to give birth. That, I mean, not necessarily mm-hmm. not birth, right? Just someone to give birth this way that um, in about in vaginal birth and um, someone that wanted it as bad as I did in a way. I wanted someone that wasn't going to say, oh, well, yeah, you can try. That's, you, that's fine. I wanted to be like, yeah, I want to have my provider say, yeah. I totally believe you can do this and I'm going to do everything in my power to help you achieve this. And if it doesn't go that way, we'll talk about it and I'll be right here with you, but I, we're going to do, we're going to do this, you know? Um, so yeah, I think for people deciding, you know, if they want to or not, I think finding a provider that is truly supportive. And so we talk about um, answering, um, asking open answered questions. So not like, Hey, do you, do you support VBAC? Yes or no. It's what are your thoughts about VBAC? How do you feel about VBAC? Do you have people that VBAC with you? How do you help them achieve their VBACs? Um, and I think through this discussion, it can also um, help the connection because for me, like to have a connection with a provider that is going to help you during this, because I was very vulnerable, very, very vulnerable. And my provider was with me through thick and thin. And I felt that I truly felt that there's a picture of me and her just, she's just like holding me and I am just sobbing, mm-hmm. letting down. And, and that to me was everything, right. That that was everything to me that, cause I knew she, she was just there for me. Um, so through the prenatals, you know, finding out if they're supportive and, and talking about the hard questions. What if I hit my 40 weeks? What happens? What do we do? How does that look? You know, um, so really asking questions that can help you establish that relationship, I think is going to help someone find a good provider. Um, Obviously, you know, there's amazing birth communities all over the world asking in your birth community, hey, who's VBAC supportive? Um, And really just going out and finding all those people. And it's okay if the first three people aren't going to work for you. And it's also okay if for Julie, that provider was amazing. But for me, I didn't feel it. You know, that doesn't mean that that provider is not supportive. So go find someone that's good for you, that you feel a good connection with, that you feel the support with, that you feel is going to be right there by your side. I love the open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. good. Like, what are some of the red flag responses that would make you want to like potentially be like, okay, sayonara. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, there's so many. Next. Um, Yeah. So, um, say like the 40 week question, right? Like, Oh, well, we won't be going to 40 weeks because if you haven't had your baby by 39, we'll be scheduling a C-section. Like 
that is definitely a huge red flag. Um, if the provider's like, I won't induce, I refuse to induce, that's a red flag. Um, if the provider's like, yeah, like, we'll, we'll see what the baby's size is looking like around 36 weeks. And then we'll discuss, no, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Um, if your provider, you know, is like, well, yeah, but you know, you do have a history of a small pelvis. So we'll, we'll see, or talking about how small you are or how big your baby seems. Um, those are some red flags. Julie, you want to elaborate even more? I mean, there's so many. <laughs> I know. I just put, putting like any arbitrary timeline on anything ever, yes. um, any way that they treat you differently than they would treat any other parent that, ha that hasn't had a cesarean. I mean, there are things to watch out for, like not inducing with certain types of medication like misoprostol or Cytotec. Um, those are contraindicated for VBAC, obviously. But um, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I think you covered them, like the big baby yeah. one, or just any type of size relation, any type of like wanting to oh, um, yeah. do a third trimester ultrasound just to check on how big the baby is or or wanting to check your cervix just to see like how far progressed you are, just to see if your body's already starting to dilate, just to see if you might be able to do it or if your body's already, because if your body's not dilating by 39 weeks, you're probably not going to be able to have yeah. the baby anyways, you know, especially if you're, you know failure to progress or something before, yeah. you know, those type of things. Or if they constantly doubt you, like, well, you know, we can try, we, you know, you didn't dilate a lot much past time. So I don't think that's going to work, but you know, we'll see what happens this time. You know, anything, yeah. any type of expressing doubt in you um, really kind of shows how they feel about VBACs in general. Um, I really like having a mutual trust relationship. Anytime you can create that with your provider, like, Yes, you want to trust your provider, but you also want your provider to have trust in you too and be mm -hmm. confident in you. And, and if your provider's having that conversation, like, yeah, well, you know, you didn't dilate last time, you thought I stuck at a four. And, you know, so we'll just see how it goes this time, you know, but, you know, we're going to let you try. And, like, yeah. that's not a provider who trusts you, a provider that says, yeah, you know what? We're going to give this the best chance we got and we're going to do this. And I'm, I think, you know, you, this is what I prefer, but you know what, if you feel differently, then we're going to do what you, what you prefer. And that's a good provider yeah. that supports you. And that's a provider that shows the mutual trust back to you. And if you can create that with your provider, then that is a really ideal situation. Yeah. Another so, red flag that I thought about, sorry, I'm going to add this one. Is, no, go ahead. Um, that they have to get the epidural. Just oh yes, an epidural place. Oh. Just in case you have to have surgery, like so they that. have to get it placed now. And they'll say, "But oh, but don't worry, it doesn't have to be dosed. Just has to be placed." So yeah. uncomfortable. Well, there's so much wrong with that too. Like, there's no way that that that's not even yeah. logical. Take, take you out of your headspace <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's just a lot of things, right? Like, yeah. so yeah. anyway. Are we this, this I wanted to talk about first, like more of the sciencey stuff about the the contraindication of mesoprostol and cytotec, mm -hmm. but that's just nerd. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Lexi's like, come on, girl, let's get to the language stuff. Well, the no, but I just can't believe, like, because step one is that, and this is the part where I love because continuously in these interviews that we do, it's around the fact that you actually have a choice in your provider. And I think that's mm -hmm. like the very first step of people understanding that because from my experience of, and I, I used midwives, but with my, a lot of my friends, it's like, oh yes, I got, I was able to get into an, with an OB, like just, you know, they look mm -hmm. at some stats online maybe, but 
that you can just get in because everyone's so busy and this and that. Not mm-hmm. I get to actually interview who my provider is and make that decision based off of what my you know goals are of my labor and delivery. So yeah. I'm just like you know back there. Let alone like these are such amazing questions and yeah. ways to you know navigate that. So. All right, Nikki, let's go to your question. Okay, well, I mean, okay, two things before I forget. Cause two, and then, so we have to talk about the fact that there's got to be a common theme here. Like, and, and this is something that's funny. I teach in our push prep classes. We do get quite a lot of women who are hoping to have a feedback, who want to feel more empowered. And it's also an, obviously a very long, let me say, somewhat rigorous exercise program that we put them through, right? So there's a lot of like staying fit and mm-hmm. strong and pregnancy, whatever. But I think there's like, one of the things we talk about so much is this need to self-advocate. And it's interesting because- like it's hard at the best of times, let alone having had a VBAC. I feel like a, a woman who is trying to have a VBAC has to advocate 10 times harder than mm-hmm. anybody else. And I feel like, I don't know, I'd like you maybe to comment on that. Like, have you noticed any sort of qualities or even personality characteristics? Like, it feels like you need to be a little bit of a rebel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to actually Badass VBACers. Well, just a question, right? Yeah, you're questioning yeah, medical authority, right? So like true. that yeah. that is not an easy thing to do in our culture and you mentioned that already. So there's this sense that you know, I'm and then you might also have people who are your family members or friends who are maybe uh-huh. making like, well, why would you ever do that? Why would you put yourself at risk and questioning you when you're just like, I just want this experience and right. I think I can do it. And so not only do you have to sort of fight for, I get, I don't know if this is the right but word. But you feel you have to fight. The fight yes, is, absolutely. you do. You There is a, there's a sense of fight. Like I felt like I had to fight for what I wanted and I had to fight against the people who didn't understand. And, and it wasn't because they, like my mom, my mom was like, yeah, what happens if your baby dies? Are your, is your husband Ugh. ever going to forgive you? Like, she asked me that. Oh, She literally asked me that. And I was like, what? How dare you? And then she got mad because I wouldn't let her in my space. And she was like, well, what? I'm like, well, clearly <laughs> you don't yeah. support. And it's not because it's she it's because she just didn't know she doesn't know the stats around me back mm-hmm. she doesn't understand that it I was making a choice a good choice for me and you know that I wanted her to trust me I wanted her to trust me and I mm-hmm. wanted to not have to fight against my family members when I already had to fight against the world mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah well I think a really great um you asked going back to you asked about like what qualities we see parents have that are really good at like standing up for themselves and like advocating for themselves. And I just go back, like my mind goes back to this client that I had and she had to be back after three cesareans with a provider that I would never, ever send anybody to just for one VBAC, a VBAC after one cesarean. She's very adamant about staying with this provider. And, um, I, you know, we always encourage our clients to follow their intuition. And I have learned over the years to trust that my clients can trust their intuition because that's also an important thing to do, you know, as a doula is trust that our clients trust their intuition. Right. And, um, one of the things that I just really proud of her is whenever he would make a recommendation or disagree with her or say, I really want you to do things my way. She would stand, stand, stand her ground and really just stand up for herself and say, listen, I hear you. I know your concerns are valid. I know what you're saying. I understand your concerns. I also understand the risks. 
I know my choices. I understand my choices. This is what I feel is best for me, my family, and my baby. And this is what I'm going to be doing. And she did that all the way up until she was stalled at nine centimeters for four hours. (laughs) And up until the point where they were trying to get her to go back for a cesarean. And we stopped and we got everybody out of the room and they, they did some praying and we did some really crazy spinning babies exercises and her baby moved down one centimeter down to the pelvis. And that is technically cervical change and it bought her more time. And, and she got her feedback after three cesareans with what I would consider one of the least supportive feedback providers in our area. And, and she got it by standing her ground having that very firm conversation with her provider. I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. I know why you're making this recommendation. However, I am very educated on my risks. I understand these risks. I'm choosing to accept them. And this is a choice that I am making for my baby and my birth. And she did that consistently and throughout her entire pregnancy and her entire delivery. And I think that 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 that's one of like the best examples I have of really just being firm, but, but not everyone has that personality and not everyone has that determination and that resolve. And it's hard because you can't change your personality. You know, you just can't like, Mm -hmm. and it's not expected of you to be able to do that. But if you can find some way, you either have to find a way to, to be strong and grounded like that, or have a partner that can do that for you, or you have to find a provider that's going to be more compatible with what you want. Right. Which I think one of the parts of, you know, getting to know your provider, really talking with them mm-hmm. and them knowing you and trusting you throughout the pregnancy. I think that can help you so much in the birth space when you're so vulnerable because it's hard. I love that. I love what you're saying here because it's like you're what that woman did is that she validated that she knows she's like, I understand mm-hmm. the risks. I understand mm-hmm. that you as the provider have concerns over the safety of my baby. I am educated. I am making this decision. I understand the risks. Mm -hmm. I understand the safety of me and my baby come first. Like you're prefacing what you want with the acknowledgement of the Mm -hmm. risks. And it Mm -hmm. makes you seem so much more rational and reasonable. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and she gave too. She went in for weekly NSTs and she went in for, and I think that by creating that dialogue between her and her provider, um, she wasn't ever combative. She wasn't like, no way. I'm going to do this my Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm. You don't know know this. You don't know the current evidence. ACOG says this. Like she was never like that. She was always very reasonable. And I think that what, cre- what, what unfolded there was a really beautiful dynamic between her and her provider because her provider came to um, trust her. And, and she did a lot of research and education in the background. She didn't just have that conversation and go home and sit on her butt and like eat donuts or whatever. Like, I don't know if she probably did eat donuts and sit on her butt. She probably did a lot of that. But also she did a lot of education I don't know. My clients probably eat donuts. I don't know. I don't like I eat donuts. So I don't know. You track what you are, I guess. Um, But she did a lot of education and she did what she said she did. And so when you are educating yourself and you know what your options are, you are more equipped to have that type of conversation with your support team. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Segue into it. Not only like having that, that relationship with the provider, but feeling confident in yourself and your Mm -hmm. ability to make these choices 
um, when they come up and to stand stand your ground. Because the more education you have, you know, power in the pocket, that education power is power in, in your pocket. pocket. Um, and so you can pull out... <laughs> She's in your pocket. (laughs) You can pull out that information and be like, okay, like I remember this about this, you know? And again, that's why Julie and I um, did what we did with this company is because when we were going through our VBAC journeys, there were incredible sources out there, um, but there was still more that we, that we lacked and we wanted to provide. And so the more education you have, the more empowerment you have and the more you can quote unquote, fight and stand for what you believe in and what you feel is best for you. Well, that's one of the reasons why we created our podcast too, is that sharing mm-hmm. stories of, so that you can know that there's other people going through Relate. this with you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Lex, so should what, we talk about language? Let's yeah, let, yeah, you yeah. ask the question. You ask the question. Do it. No, no. I mean, I'm just, Nikki and I were just, we mentioned to you, to you both when we, before we came on, we got caught up in language and, and especially like Nikki lives this, right. And I, I don't. So I obviously use the language and I'm going to ask the question because during this, I've realized I probably have been saying C-section because that's what I hear most commonly. And is it more appropriate to call it a cesarean? And so getting into the language of things, you know, I had what I would call a natural labor, but now I understand it might be better to say an unmedicated vaginal labor or birth mm-hmm. or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. let's, I just want to understand, and, and you live and breathe this all, I mean, the three of you all day long. So I, I, I'm asking the question, like, what is right, appropriate? Are there rights and wrongs around this? Like, where do we even begin? Oh, oh my man. Deafening silence. I know. Like, there's definitely some wrong in here, clearly. This is it section? Um, Am I the awkward one? No, no. no. You're good. No, no, this no. is such a hot topic. And I used to have such strong opinions about this. And I do have very strong opinions about one Certain particular. Things. Yeah, I do. Okay, I'm which one? Opinionated. Um, okay, so. I you guys absolutely you, you don't, feel, I know free, I'm trying- feel free to put the sponge and wipe the soap away when you're ready. So do it, do I, it. Let it let it rip. This is an explicit podcast. We so we are rated R. I'm I'm right with her though. I really am. She explicit just podcast. Yeah. Okay. So I think let me just preface this a little bit. I think the language that we use surrounding birth is incredibly important because uh it can give or take away from the experience that people go through. And I think it's also important because as we change and modify the language that we're using, it can also impact how the experience affects other people and the significance of that experience. So for example, let me talk about the trend that we're going through right now where people are trying to change the language of the term cesarean to belly birth or abdominal birth, which is the term that I absolutely hate. Ooh, tell us so why. Bad. Tell us why. Which one, abdominal or belly or both? Be- belly birth, especially, but abdominal birth. I just hate taking away from the term. Just I hate taking away cesarean, just cesarean or C-section out of it because I feel like it's an attempt to lessen the significance of the thing that happened. So cesarean or C-section is a a significant surgery. It's a, it's a major abdominal surgery. 
And I think the attempt to lessen it or make it sound softer or or prettier um, takes away from that significance. And oh my gosh, how do I say this without getting on a major? Well, you just feel like it. You feel like it lessens. It lessens the impact, and I think it's another way. In turn, it can. um, It's a way of also bringing it into an acceptance and makes it more and more acceptable way to have a baby, which mm. I don't want it. It is an acceptable way to have a baby. And I'm so grateful for it. And I don't want it to be misinterpreted it's it sound into benign. that. Like it's benign. Yes, it is benign. It does make it sound that way. And it, t- I think it can take away from the efforts that us and other organizations are trying to make to reduce the cesarean rate, which right now in the United States is 32.4%, which is so high. And it is, it is taking, it is literally, we're losing mother's lives. We are causing significant harm to and birth injury to mothers and babies um, who are making their way into this world. And we're in this maternal health crisis due to this significantly high number of cesareans that, that are happening in the United States right now. Um, it's a big problem that we're having. I think by softening it, by calling it belly birth or abdominal birth or surgical birth, it is taking away from the impact that it is having in our maternal health care system. And so well, I kind of saw that rant right for, now. I don't know, May, Megan. For, well, for me, like, I I feel strong that I had a C-section and I feel strong that I had a V-back. I am strong as hell. I had three amazing, yeah. beautiful kids. My body carried these kids and, and I gave birth in three different ways. You know what I mean? Like, two similar, but like, mm-hmm. you know, but like, for me, like, a cesarean, like that's a like she said, it's a major thing. It's a major thing, and I don't want to lessen my birth because that's that's just my opinion, right? But I, to me, I had a cesarean. I've had two cesareans, and I am even though they weren't what I want, I'm proud that I have those cesareans. I'm proud that I brought those babies here this way. And to say like, oh, I had a, a surgical birth or a belly birth, it's just for me, it softens it too much. But like for some people, that's what they need. Mm-hmm. That's what they need. And so that's where it's hard where you're like, am I right? Am, am I wrong? Is that wrong? Is that right? I don't necessarily, me personally, I don't think there's wrong or right because it has to resonate to what's best for that okay. person. What about natural birth? Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Or regular birth. It's so have hard. You heard, have you heard regular? I'd like to have a no. regular birth. No. Yes. Oh, no, people have to get over the say vagina. Nobody wants to say <laughs> yeah, vagina. Yeah. That's why. I know. Vaginal birth. Yeah. So natural, like natural starch, because you're like, well, vaginal is more natural than a cesarean. But like, yeah, I know that's real. It's hard to be like, well, it was unmedicated. It that it's like what is it? It needs to be like vagina, vagina, vagina. Like <laughs> I know, like, penis. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> you're like and I, I think. Mean, yeah, it's so hard. I think it comes down to like what is more like a medically correct yeah. term. So like cesarean, C-section, vaginal, right? Unmedicated versus medicated. Yeah, well, like what's natural? Like, I don't know. It's just hard because everyone's going to have their different preferred way. I prefer to never, ever, ever tell me that my C-section was a belly birth. That just like makes me kind of want to vomit a little bit. And that's like my personal opinion. I, I hate it. I find that most people that actually had a C-section hate it. 
that's just what I found. I feel like um, most people had an unwanted cesarean, I guess maybe is probably a better way to say that. There's a, there's some people I find that really like the term, especially those people that were really happy with their cesarean experience. There's those that maybe chose it. Um, mm-hmm. I think from a more um, political and like advocacy standpoint, especially if you're advocating for better maternal health care, um, you find that those people are more um, against that term. And so yeah. I just think it's hard and I think it's um, preferential. And I think that a lot of people can really get worked up about like defining what the right mm-hmm. thing to do is. We find like a really acceptable term is cesarean birth. If you're talking about that thing, although it took me a really long time to say that my first baby who was born by cesarean was actually born because I felt like he would, I didn't get a birth. I felt like he was just cut again in our first recording. When I recorded our first podcast episode, I, I re-recorded it since then. I should have, Oh my gosh, I bet the audio is there somewhere, but I was like, uh, they, they, they took him out of me. So I was like, he was born. Right, I couldn't even out. say he was yeah. born. Like they cut him out of me. Like I just couldn't, I was so awkward in it. I just couldn't even say he was born because I did not feel like he was born. Yeah. And so yeah. I just, it's hard because each person you talk to is probably going to have a different opinion on it, but the language is, I think the language and how we speak about birth generally is so, so important. Um, but I think also like the word TOLAC for like trial of labor after cesarean, it's a very medical, medical term. And, um, it's like everybody is a, a trial of labor. So like your trial of labor is like even first time moms, trial of labor, trial of labor is after cesarean, like you had a cesarean and now you're going for a trial of labor. It's like before the baby comes out of your vagina, it's a trial of labor. Um, but, but that can be offensive to people. It's like, board. I'm not a trial of labor. Right? I'm going to have a V-back. Like I'm a V-back. Yeah. So like, like Yoda, right? Like do or do not, there is no try, right? <laughs> trial of labor. Everyone's like, I'm not going to try. I'm not a TOLAC. I'm going to do it. And everyone gets hung up on the word trying to hide it for a really, really long time. Until I understood that it was just a medical term, a TOLAC, right? TOLAC is before the baby comes out your vagina. Feedback is after the baby comes out your vagina, right? Um, and so the language there can get really, really emotional and impact it. And I think once we understand why people are, are saying those things and talking that way and using that medical terminology, it's just very, you know, medical terminology. It's just literally like the very little or literal form of what it is. Um, it's probably a little bit easier to understand why it's referred to and called those things. And especially when you're in the middle of a birth room, if you can wrap your head around being a TOLAC before you're in the birth room and someone's calling you a TOLAC and you get triggered by it, then it's going to be a lot better. It's going to affect your birth experience a lot less than if you're like, I'm not a TOLAC. (laughs) I'm Yoda. I'm doing, I am not trying you know, if you can just kind of understand that and be triggered by it less, yeah. it's going to impact your birth experience a lot less. Nikki, oh, I'm curious. I'm curious on your, I'm, I'm curious. Cause I love when you're like, what about natural? Like I love, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear. I just feel like when you say the words and this is, you know, in, in by all, you know, I'm like Lexi, I've had two very awesome unmedicated vaginal deliveries. So I am mm-hmm. like, I've been very fortunate. I had IVF, I had other shit, but like I got great birth experiences. But so yeah. I feel like I've been very intentional with my language because I don't want to make it seem like there's any type of superiority. Like, yes, uh-huh. I got the quote unquote, like I got like an I two ideal birthing experiences in a hospital, like mm-hmm. whatever. I had other stuff happen, like I had to transfer from home to hospital, but it was still worked out well for my second birth. 
But I guess I, was, I don't want to call it a natural birth because I don't want to imply that it's somehow better because we tend to put natural on a pedestal. We yes. tend to think mm-hmm. natural is better and yeah. therefore that was unnatural. Like I just feel like there's this dichotomy. Um, and that's I'm, I have, and, and whenever people in my class say, well, I want a natural birth. And I'm like, let's just clarify. You want a vaginal birth. You want a vaginal birth? <laughs> Do you want an epidural? Like, yeah, I want an epidural. I'm like, then you want a medicated oh, vaginal, vaginal delivery. Birth. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like I educate around that to be like, well, what does natural even mean? Exactly. Like, are you talking about drugs? You're talking about like mode of birth. Like, what are you right. talking about? Well, and a lot of people think like natural, like they'll say that, like, oh, I had a natural birth. And then like they'll be telling their story and they got an epidural, which there's nothing wrong with epidurals at all. But it's just like, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. They put yeah. it up on a pedestal and an unmedicated versus medicated or yeah, yeah. It's, or like I said, regular. Thing. It's like, so you're telling me that I didn't give birth regularly. I know I didn't give birth regularly. I had a cesarean, but I still had a baby. And I still oh my gosh. Birth. We need to, I feel like we need to have this, another conversation. This is literally like, could be an entire, like clearly <laughs> this is heated. We shouldn't have left it till the end. <laughs> I am just like sitting back like, all right, get out my popcorn. This is amazing <laughs> conversation here. Part two. Birth we language. need a part two. Just <laughs> oh my gosh, topic. we should get Sarah on here from Birth Words. Yeah, yeah. have you guys, can I, Sarah? We need to reach out words. to Sarah Pixton. She has a podcast. Okay. It's called Birth Words. Oh, amazing. It's it. all about the language, language and birth. Like it's 100%. Amazing. Well, it's that needs to absolutely happen because this has been, I mean, I think everyone's been learning a lot. I know I have, but I love, you know, everything that you guys are are speaking to. And I think a lot of great tips and and things that people will be able to apply um, if they're looking to, to move forward with the VBAC. So mission accomplished, but for more information, people can find you. We'll include in the show notes, all of your links, but they're pretty much all the same. The VBAC link, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Website so, is VBAC, VBAC is VBAC. Oh yeah. Good. Not VBACK. Yes, yes, yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure. We appreciate awesome. it. Thank we you. love Absolutely. you. Thank you, you guys are so, so much. Fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.